0: This is our final sermon in this sermon series that we've titled Counting on God, where we have been thinking through how the numbers in scripture have stories behind them and how knowing those stories help us to see God in a new way. And so we've covered one and three, five, seven, 12 and 40 and today we think about the number 50. The number 50 I was interested to learn was is connected historically to the number seven Those two numbers seem a bit of an odd couple, mismatched and unrelated, but some funky math gets us to a meaningful connection, so stay with me while I give a little introduction to this scripture passage. God tells us to rest on the seventh day and to make holy the Sabbath, and so this ancient rhythm of Sabbath of the Lord's Day set God's people apart and reminded God's people that there were days in the not so distant past when pharaoh would not let them rest right the bible nudges us to remember that in these days when you can seek the gift of rest do so rest because you're no longer enslaved rest because you have the freedom to rest rest because god rests rest and let this work of resting be holy so the number seven is holy we rest on the seventh day and if the number seven is holy, that means seven times seven is holy. Seven times seven is 49. And when on, after seven weeks of seven days, 49 days, everyone took a pause. They added this n- last little day, the 50th day, to celebrate the fact that they had just made it through seven weeks of seven days. After seven days rest after seven weeks, celebrate. And so these ancient agricultural societies, the rhythm of celebrating on the 50th day, it made sense. It was in tune with the harvest schedule, barley, wheat, the fall fruits. All these things came in cycles of about 50 days and people would gather to honor what had been harvested and to share the abundance of the earth with one another, with their neighbors, their family, their friends, with the poor and the widow and the stranger and the visitor no one was turned away, all were fed." And so these rhythms of rest and celebration, rest every seven days, celebrate on the 50th day, turned into a bigger rhythm of rest and celebration every seven years and every 50 years. On the seventh year, the whole cycle of harvest was disrupted. The earth was not worked, and the land was given over to rest. Anything that happened to grow up from the fields that year could be harvested by anyone, regardless of who owned the land. Profits were laid aside by landowners. Imagine that. Workers were given the whole year off, and all of society turned to God for provisions. Maybe there were good agricultural reasons to do this. My dad grew up on a farm, and parts of the land were regularly left unplowed. And there were regulations rotating crops so that the soil would remain rich. So there's reasons why these rhythms of seven and 50 were in place. The dirt needed to rest. The Bible cries out, let the land take a break. But giving the dirt a rest is risky, right? What are the implications of that? How do you trust God to provide food when you're not actively working to make food uh, come to your table? It's a risky proposition. But if you were a small child growing up under this ancient practice, by the time you were a young adult, you would have lived through several of these Sabbath years every seven years. And so it would start to feel like a trustworthy way of organizing society. Seven days, rest. After 50 days, celebrate. After seven years, rest. And after 50 years, seven times seven, on that 50th year, Everyone celebrated for the whole year. The 50th year is a year of celebration. So that's where we are today. The 50th year, a year of celebration, a radical rest. So may God add a blessing to our hearing of this holy word. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be for you a jubilee. Do not sow or reap what grows itself or is harvested on unintended vines, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat what is only taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the last jubilee, and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price because this is what is really being sold to you, the number of crops, the number of harvests. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. May God add a blessing to this holy word. Holy God, gather us in and make yourself known here in this place. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you know me well, then you know that I love books. My husband and I have been on a thousand dates to bookstores around the country. A perfect afternoon is unencumbered time at the library, unencumbered time at the library, occasionally checking in with each other about what we've found or what we're looking for. Our son knows how to stack books just as well as he knows how to stack blocks and the two new bookshelves in my office are a symbol of possibility of the fruits of long hours spent reading and studying and seeking after just the right way to say something about the mystery of god when i was in seminary my very first job was at the library i loved those early mornings shelving books arranging them sneaking a peek into what might be inside and staying attentive to the categories, the numbering systems, the well-ordered places where you could find new research or old poetry that was hiding in plain sight. So when I rounded the bend towards seminary, I had accumulated a, towards the end of seminary, I was finishing up everything. I had a not so little stack of books still in my apartment and in the rush to finish those senior projects and finish ordination exams and put out job applications book by book i assembled a not so little set of library fines so when all was said and done i owed something to the tune of $175 and I was a seminary student. This was not a debt that you could just shake off. Piecing together life in seminary, I was able to pay the bills and tuition and groceries and make my way to the pub with friends every once in a while, but I was by no means flush with cash. And maybe this was true at your university too. I had to pay all of my library fines before I could be approved to graduate. It was the library's way of telling all of us, that they had power. They meant business. They had a way to hold up your diploma. So, needless to say, I was working on a plan, really, to pay this bill, when the surprise announcement came. The seminary library in Hyde Park was celebrating 50 years right there in that place. And for their 50-year celebration, They declared it a jubilee year. All debts were forgiven. All library fines were canceled. No one owed anything. Everything was forgiven. We were free of financial obligation. Accounts were back to zero. I was shocked and I was grateful. And I was no longer considered delinquent in this place that I loved and I could graduate. Their 50-year celebration, their jubilee year, restored my relationship with the library. Still had to go and drag that stack of books back to the library before graduation, but the financial shift in my connection to the library felt like a renewal of relationship, a freedom, really, a gift. So it begs the question, what would a jubilee year look like here? we were to walk outside our sanctuary door today and declare this, the Jubilee year, I wonder what it would look like. Maybe we would quit uh, mowing the grass. We would no longer trim the bushes. We would not buy mums for the planters for fall, but instead we would let grow what grows. Whatever comes up from the ground, it would be the thing that grows there. The gardeners and the caretakers of the land would have the year off. If we were to declare a Jubilee year, the building would rest, the neighborhood would rest, maybe even the schools would rest. The busyness would slow. No one would be overworked. Everyone would return to their families in whatever meaningful way that's possible. No one would need to go on a business trip. No one would need to cross the country for a soccer game. No one would feel a sense of urgency to get things done that are typically on the to-do list. Everyone would have what they need. Everything would be based on trust. No one would owe anyone anything, and everyone would take care of one another. The debts long held would be forgiven. Financial obligations would fall away. Generosity would emerge in unexpected and delightful ways. The gardens, the fields, the vineyards would produce whatever harvest naturally came up next spring without human intervention. The onions, tomatoes, and squash would spill over the sides of our well-maintained garden boundaries. But no one would tend to the garden. No one would get up on a tractor and bring in the grain or the corn or the produce. Those who were hungry would have food to eat. But... The details. What about the details? How would this work? How would there be enough? How would what's out in the field today get here to Kenilworth? Who would transport the food? Who would help with the planning? If everyone was taking a Jubilee year, a year of celebration, who would manage the spreadsheet? Who would drive the semi? Who would load the produce? How would the food get from farm to table? How would this all work? It's very easy to get overloaded with the impossibility of jubilee before we even get started. It all seems so absurd and and impractical. But Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, who knows the details of this text inside and out, says that it's more important to imagine jubilee than to design it. If we cannot imagine it, then we end up designing nothing anyway. If we never take the time to imagine jubilee, a celebration of rest a celebration of renewal a pausing a forgiveness a restoration then we deny the powerful possibility of the god of jubilee ever being with us before we've even started walter brueggemann says imagination must come first theological imagination prophetic imagination jubilee imagination This has to happen first in order for us to trust in the God of the Jubilee. Then, in our imagining, we can open ourselves to the possibilities beyond what is currently happening, beyond the status quo, beyond the ways the world works today. My seminary library, however many years later, still does not collect library fines. I was surprised to find out. Something from that jubilee stuck, something hung on, something in jubilee transformed them. And that wasn't part of the original design. The jubilee was just that, a jubilee year, that 50th year of celebration rooted in the biblical stories. In some meeting or some side conversation or some anniversary brainstorming session, the librarians wondered together, how can we celebrate our 50th year here on this corner? And they remembered 50 is an important number And they looked into their faith traditions. Every 50 years, the ancient people of God celebrated with a jubilee. All rested, all was forgiven, all was restored. And then they imagined what could be forgiven. What might be restored in such forgiveness? And in imagining, God nudged them toward a plan. A seed was planted and an idea emerged. What if, what if, they asked, right? This what if? What if we forgave all the debts? What if just this year, celebrating 50 years, we let go of all the library fines? They weren't thinking of me and my $175. They were just wondering, what if we were to celebrate with this biblical understanding of the world? Now, there, I, there had to have been red tape, right? You know how, how institutions are. There were committee meetings and executive sessions and objections and spreadsheets and worries over financial implications. And yet, somehow, that imagination continued. What if we really did this? What if we did have a jubilee year? From the imagining, something became possible. And I I think that's true for all of us in our own lives and collectively, I sense this this thing that Kenilworth Union Church is in this similar time of imagining. We spent the last year celebrating 125 years of ministry on this corner, and it produced some of those same kind of questions. What if we open ourselves up to what God is calling us to do together? Our preschool is doing the same thing. This year they celebrate 25 years, and there's something beautiful about that, right? We have preschool families. Our, Our first class of preschool students are 29 years old, They are now getting married here in this church. They're bringing their babies here to be baptized. There's some gift in that, that God is calling us to celebrate in a particular way this 25 years. These little, and ask questions. What what is it that, what if, what is God calling us to in this place? These little rhythms of celebration allow us to be imaginative in new ways. Reflection and celebration Go hand in hand. Every seven days we rest, and every 50 days we celebrate. Every seven years we rest, and every 50 years we celebrate. Where are you in this cycle of rest and celebration? Rest and celebration. What part of the jubilee does your body ache for? For rest, or trust, or freedom, or forgiveness, or financial renewal, or a return home, or a celebration, or an honoring of the earth and what grows there? What part of Jubilee do the least and the lost among you long for? What part of Jubilee do the most vulnerable long for? Rest and trust and freedom and forgiveness and financial renewal and a return home and a celebration Have you given yourself permission to imagine, to dream beyond what today might seem impossible, to look into the absurdity of this jubilee and to allow your mind to explore further into the what if? One person said that jubilee means setting aside time for not acting setting aside time for stillness, setting aside time for quiet, setting aside time to hold sacred, to stop, to savor. Can you imagine it? May it be so, O God, our God of the Jubilee. Let us rest in that as we take a moment of silence. Amen.